Guys, get ready. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mac and Jack Sports Show, the flagship station of Northeast Streaming Sports. I'm here, uh, Mac, your, your host with co-host Jack Hirsch, Hall of Fame boxing writer and also sports guru. And, of course, everyone knows the Philly sports guy, TikTok Sensation. And we're going we're gonna to start off by talking about the game, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Philadelphia Eagles. And um, as you know that I've been following the show, I picked Kansas City to beat the Eagles by three points and also the MVP, uh, Patrick Mahomes. So I was two for two. And, uh, you know, Pags, great game. Uh, the Eagles looked like they had it at the, at the end of the second half. The Chiefs come roaring back. I know you were there. Can you give us a little uh, insight into what was happening uh, at that time at the stadium? Uh, well, obviously, <clears throat> the Eagles kind of ran the first half. Uh, was able to just do whatever they wanted to on offense at will. Uh, I felt that uh, the missed field goal kind of, you know, gave them a little bit of energy. You know, they were able to get right down the field and score a touchdown. Uh, they were able to make a stop. And then that fumble uh, was a big deal. Trying to, uh, you know, obviously that, that went back for a touchdown. Uh, but they were scoring points at will. I felt that the last 15 seconds of that half, they were on the 20-yard line. Uh, if it was me coaching, I would have gone for the jugular there. I would have tried two plays in the end zone beforehand. They did that one one-yard gain to gain well, pass, and then they called a timeout with four seconds left to kick the field goal. I kind of felt that that was playing for the field goal was not the right answer there. Uh, they did, of course. They go into the halftime at 10. And Mahomes is a little hurt at that time. I believe that if it was a normal halftime, Mahomes would have not come out as prepared as he was. Uh, you know, it was, I was listening to a doctor talk about what needed to happen for him. And the process that that it required, required 32 minutes of time at its fastest. And there was a 37-minute halftime. So he came out, and he looked great and was able to do all of the things that, you know, you know that Patrick Mahomes can do. And he did, you know. And uh, I, I've been saying all year long that I felt that the Eagles would not lose any game that they remain focused for. I feel that there's a possibility, and I don't know for certain, that the ones losing focus were the coaches. And I feel that the defensive coordinators specifically lost some focus uh, because they just weren't able to make a stop at all. They weren't able to make any type of uh, get any type of pressure on Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he didn't watch any of the tape on how to really get him. 
I felt that the equipment manager also maybe have lost some focus because they just couldn't get the cleats right. They were slipping on a lot of plays in general. Uh, there was a number of different situations that occurred, you know, that created the loss here. And it was, I feel like it was a team loss. It wasn't something, one thing specific. You know, people are crying about the call at the end of the game. I mean, it was a hold, but it's, you know, it's, I read something yesterday saying that 567 plays before the, all the, the uh, 567 plays had gone by where that referee had not called a holding call. So the inconsistency of that call was really more the question there, not the call itself. Uh, and of course, uh, it's frustrating when, because it took away, it really was a difference of 80 seconds. You know, the 80 seconds that passed uh, created the ability for them to only have one play at it, the one shot to be able to try to get, you know, 80 yards to maybe win, you know, win the game. And it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel that Kansas City was a great team. I feel like this was as advertised. These were the two best teams in the league battling it out. And Kansas City just came out ahead. Well, you're you're muted, Jack. You mentioned Pags with the coaches on the Eagles maybe losing concentration. And this has been one of my beefs with the NFL. Both the Eagle offensive and defensive coordinators were hired for head coaching positions right after the game, meaning that they had agreed to coach the other teams, Indianapolis and Arizona, respectfully. Uh how could they be totally 100% focused on the Super Bowl if they had one foot out the door? This isn't to mean they weren't putting forth an effort, but rather than give it 100% concentration in the Super Bowl, in the total intensity, they're probably in their spare time looking at the rosters of their upcoming teams, making plans, thinking about assembling a staff. You know, that's why the rules have to get changed where there are no coaching hires or interviews until after the Super Bowl. They're probably thinking, sure, we'd like to win this Super Bowl, but if we don't, you know, we're going elsewhere. You know, so, so there's some merit to it when you think of the concentration factor that those assistant coaches are bringing because they weren't just interviewing for jobs. They knew they had other jobs to go to the Indianapolis and Arizona. Also, I wouldn't question too much the play calling, you know, with the coaches and everything. You're always going to get that. Uh, Nick Sirianni has come on the bit of criticism with something like 12 and a half minutes left in the game. Eagles are down one point and they're on their own 32-yard line, fourth and three. A lot of people felt he should have gone for fourth and three, your own 32 Maybe yet midfield, I, okay. But. I so and that I, I want to just talk about that for a quick, quick second. I, there, uh, yes, there is a question mark about that because it just it seemed like that they could not be stopped. Uh, that if when if they had the proper play calling, that they that they were going to make it. I I you have to punt there. You do have to punt there. There there's no ifs ands or buts about that. The punt was a bad punt. You know, it yeah. just was, you know, they bring in Sipas who had not punted in six weeks. 
and now he's on that on that colored turf that was difficult in general you could tell that he slipped a touch as the as the kick went and he just shanked it you know and he admitted to it he admitted that it was a shank punt it, it could have been a much better punt uh but it was a low line drive because of that they weren't able to stay in their lanes they went and attacked closer because it was only 30 yards down the field really and uh you know now you got some slippage he was able to get around the corner because nobody stayed in their lane and now all of a sudden you go all the way down to the five yard line you have the longest punt in a uh, super bowl history which was a surprise to me for some reason i thought desmond howard had a longer punt return but i guess that was a kickoff return uh the little plays that stand out, and I don't know whether you guys remember this, but this kind of angered me when Nick Sirianni called a timeout. Eagles had third and 11 in the second half. And obviously there was a little confusion at the line of scrimmage. To me, you go ahead and run the play. They obviously have a package of plays that they can run. Or even if you take a five-yard penalty and it's third and 16, but you don't burn a timeout. Those timeouts are like gold. That's, uh, I will say this. I remember, that was a big remember deal, that. I thought. I There's something I want to say as far as future strategy in the NFL goes. At the end of the game, when the Eagles were out of timeouts, they gladly would have allowed the Chiefs to score a touchdown and take their chances driving the field because the Chiefs basically had a chip shot for the game-winning field goal. Maybe you, in the future, a team in that situation should allow the other team to get a touchdown while they still have their timeouts. Because while they still have their timeouts, okay, uh, the team on offense isn't going to fall down to try to just get into field goal position. So maybe you have kind of that vision that, look, we we having a hard time stopping these guys from getting a first down. So they're probably going to make us use our three timeouts, probably get a first down, let them get a touchdown. We get the ball back. We could get a touchdown and then go for the, even the two-point conversion or just send it into overtime. Just a thought. Well, you know, we can sit back here Monday night quarterback the whole game, really. And I think while you're in the, in the midst of the game, uh, you're trying everything you can do to win. You're trying everything you could do to uh, stop the other team. Uh, the other team is falling down. I mean, there's so many things that you got to think about on the field as a coach and a player. And, and you know, I, I listen, it was a great game. Give the Chiefs their due. And the Eagles played played as well as I thought they could have played. Played well enough to win that game. I want to talk to you a little bit, Pags, about the, the Philly fans. I know we have a lot of Philly fans that come on and, and, and watch the show when you're on. I can't for the life of me understand why you would – if you lose, you know, you're going to burn cars and you're going to smash windows. But why they didn't burn any cars, by the way. They didn't burn any cars. You mean so Eagle you know. fans. You so I don't know what you heard. but Oh, I saw it, Pat. I saw him throw the throw. Some they kind turned of the one car over, and the guy whose car it was was part of that. Well, I saw what I, I'm just telling you what I saw. I saw a guy throw some kind of fire thing inside of a car and set the car on fire. Saw that on video. That was in so, Kansas City. I don't think so. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, you're listen, you love the Eagles. Um, you're a great fan of that. I know you wouldn't do anything like that. 
Jack said before the show, this is a minority. I, I understand that. But it looks bad for the Eagle fans. So a lot of people are going to disagree with this too. But I, I have a thought. Maybe there should be a curfew uh, during the games. Or, or, you know, maybe they should have some kind of curfew that if they go out, uh, they just can't go out while the, after the game's over. Now, I don't know if that would be able to, you know, be able to stick. Mac, people are already out in Super Bowl Sunday. So, and they're going to stay out. Yeah. You know, after the game, a lot of them. So it's kind of hard in that sense. And, and, and think about this. You have, you have a million people rushing the streets. Uh, I want to know what army is going to stop that from happening. True. It's true. It's true. I just thought. So, I want to I say mean, I want to say this with Pax. You were talking a little while ago strategy at the end of the first half. The Eagles should have gone for the jug, jugular, should have gone for the touchdown. It's easy to forget how in control the Eagles were that game. Even though the score was 24-14 at the half, it was only that close because Jalen Hurts gift-wrapped a touchdown on the fumble to the Chiefs. So the level of dominance that the Eagles had, there was no reason to believe they couldn't keep it going for at least part of the second half and put space between them and the Chiefs. My thought was 24-14, it's going to be 31-14 next. Maybe the Chiefs will make a little bit of a run, but the Eagles are going to continue to be able to score. They're going to win this game. And then it kind of just turned. Well, I, you know, Let's. I when I think back uh, on the season in general, and you know there was something that got posted right at the beginning of the second half before the before the kickoff even happened, was that teams that were up by ten points or more at the end of the half were twenty six and one, and I was like, oh, I hate the fact that they just posted that. I I, I was like, it was like. That's and that's an omen, because I think back at the the games that were so far out of reach that the other team came back and won, and we saw it a lot this year. You know, we saw the biggest comebacks in history of the NFL, three nothing. You know, and and you know, monster comebacks that should never happen in an NFL game, uh, and. Yeah, of course. I was like, uh, "This is that's that's a problem. It's that's a problem. They're going to they're I, you know I I had my first moment of doubt when I saw that statistic, and you know that's why I kind of felt you're right. You know they could have been thirty one seven. You know, and that's because it wouldn't have been thirty one fourteen. It would have been like more like thirty one seven because you think that the defense only really let up twenty four points." that these teams were so closely matched that I felt that the Eagles could have overcome one mistake, not two. And that was the problem. They had two mistakes. That punt return was a bad mistake. Uh, and, of course, the fumble recovery for a touchdown was a bad mistake. Uh, you think of other things that occurred during that, that uh, Epps, you know, the run from Mahomes, uh, what you didn't see on the field was that Epps was the strong safety in the back slipped and Mahomes looked directly at him. The trajectory, like the line that he would have taken 
to get to Mahomes. When he slipped, he didn't just slip. He split. He went into a split almost. Yeah. So it took him extra second to get up. It wasn't just, oh, I slipped and fall. Let me get my feet back under me and go. He had to gather himself and then go go take the line. The line, the difference in the line that he had to take was 30 yards. So it, had he not slipped there, he'd have been able to get Mahomes. And Mahomes may have gotten the first down, probably would have gotten the first down, but would have it still would have been another 40 yards drive, you know, for them to go. Does that mean it, it could have been the exact same results? It, the exact same where, hey, we are doing whatever we can to stop them, but now they're driving down the field because we couldn't stop them at all. But you know, you know, Jamie, the biggest thing to me uh, was in the first half, the Eagles were really running the ball. Kansas City looked, you know, they looked tired. And it, and it looked like that uh, the Eagles, if they kept that up, uh, probably would have won the game in the second half. But the, the total opposite happened. Kansas City came out. They were making the big plays instead of the Eagles, which we thought there would be a lot of big plays by the Eagles. First half, they had a few, but not in the second half. In that short passing game, the running game that the 49ers were able to get going in the second half. And, of course, Mahomes uh, willing to take off at any time, even with that, that bad ankle. It looked like at the end of the game that the Eagles were tired and that they were, you know, they, they were huffing and puffing at the end of the game. And it, it was just, as I said, it was just a, like a, a game – Two games in one. First half, Eagles won, no problem. Second half, the Chiefs won. So, again, a great game. The two teams, as you said, the two best teams in the NFL played uh, in the Super Bowl like it should have been, and that doesn't happen too too often. And, uh, you know, great game by the Eagles, good season. Um, and uh, next year, I think both teams will be just as strong as they were this year. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if this is something that happens uh, that I don't see this this return again that this is going to be uh a super bowl that will have a second and a third act yeah it, it'll be there it'll be up there for sure what but the say? story was at the end of the game the touted eagle defense really didn't do their job i'm not saying i'm not criticizing them for giving up a field goal but they should have lock the Chiefs down a little earliest to leave some time on the clock for their offense. And they let the Chiefs continuously, you know, drive down the field, use up the clock. And they just had to make a stand at some point, even with like a minute left. Of course, that penalty hurt, but it's easy to say it shouldn't have been called. And, and maybe it's the consistency issue if you let it go during the season do you let it go during the Super Bowl? I think you have to be consistent from beginning to end, you know, regular season and playoffs. Well, and that's really what it came down to. It was the consistency of the call. I, I don't I don't debate the call. You know what I mean? I think that it was a hold. I, I think that if the one thing I haven't been able to do is watch the entire game uh, as a as they get the tape, not just from the video, from the television. I'd love to see how they were doing, how how that was all happening every play. Like the receivers that you don't see. Like, are they, were they doing that clutching and grabbing like that? Was it consistent in that game? Or was it just that was the first time that somebody had actually grabbed a jersey? Uh, both of which is possible. I don't know. 
You know what I mean? Because I, when you watch, I've rewatched the game a couple of times now. I, I can't see the things that I want to look for, and that's some of the hard part. I mean, I've, I, you know, I, I've learned some of the statistics from people that have watched this game, where the guy who took care of the turf was a, you know, was a Kansas City Chief, you know, and you know that being said, fourteen percent of plays Kansas City slipped 38 yeah, percent of plays eight percent of plays, uh the Eagles slipped and in five percent of those 38 plays uh multiple people slipped that's 25 percent difference it's a 24 percent difference that's a quarter of a game that there was slipping happening I, I, so I, I don't think they, they tried to make the, the field slippery as you said the Chiefs are slipping too. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I. I don't know that it. But there's such a disparity in that number. You yeah. know, it's like okay, was the equipment manager like you know the manager has some blame here? You know what I mean for the Eagles that they they, well, they could not get the right cleats. They had a stack of cleats. They tried this cleat. They tried this cleat. They tried this cleat. They switched yeah. cleats two times, trying not to slip. It, it was it, it was a challenge that the Eagles had to overcome. And you don't think about stuff like that. You don't ever consider small details that that but that well, detail. I mean, they even spoke about it on the, the New Heights podcast. Yeah. Uh, people were slipping all over the place. That's a challenge. That's a challenge you have to overcome. Well, let's talk. Let's talk to a player that's been on a few slippery fields in his career. Uh, former New York Giants wide receiver. Uh, Byron Williams, who also, if you didn't know this, played for the Eagles for a short time and was drafted by the uh, legendary Bart Starr for the Green Bay Packers. So he was a he was a wanted man back then. I know he wasn't number one, but he was drafted by the Packers. So they saw some promise in him. And uh, Byron, we were, we were talking about the game as, as you guys did on JMB Talking Shop, the Slippery Fields. And I know you said that the NFL, the NFL will be reviewing it and that the NFLPA will have a part in that. Um, there are a few fields out there that are that are slippery during the year, maybe even the Giants field too. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, the NFLPA have identified about 15 fields that's been uh, considered unsafe. Um, and, of course, uh, this field this past weekend, uh, last weekend was a field with a tray where they bring in these grass fields with on trades and um, that particular stadium, State Farm Stadium, as well as the Las Vegas uh, Raiders Stadium, have those trades. And of course, um, it was a problem. And so it's definitely going to be looked at, going to be considered because next year the Super Bowl going to be in Las Vegas. So definitely um, they're going to get the grass and the turf situation feels uh, situated. Uh, we, already, we already have identified. Um, some other football fields across the across the country that's unsafe. I know the Giants are gonna replace that field. They probably in the process of probably replace replacing midlife field right now. I know the Cincinnati Bengals field is unsafe. So it's been identified a lot of fields have been unsafe to play on. And of course you have to have certain types of shoes. And it was a it was a major problem for for this past Super Bowl. So it's definitely been talked about and um they they want to get that situation correct corrected. The uh, the um, the game, Byron, uh, exciting game. 
the Eagles and, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Plus, you know, they played, they both played their hearts out. Um, first half belonged to the Eagles with their strong running game. And Kansas City came back in the second half. Some great adjustments by the coaches. You got to give them credit. Um, you know, and, and they made the big plays that we thought the Eagles would make. Eagles made a couple of big plays in the first half, but second half, the Chiefs secondary and the pass rush were pressuring uh pressuring Hurts and covering the Eagles. So um, you know, what were your take on a game? I know you picked the Eagles. Uh and uh what do you what are your some of your thoughts on the game? Well, I thought I thought it was a great game. It could have went either way in any time. I just think it was two half played. You know, of course the Eagles played the first half, uh, dominated, and then the second half. I think the opportunities is what happened. Uh, you know, you, turnovers is always a always a big key factor, as well as one play or two on special teams. So that really what helped uh, Kansas City change momentum when uh, Tony, you know, ran the punt back and things like that. So, but if you're talking about an exciting game, it was definitely an exciting game, and uh, it was it was one of the most outstanding Super Bowl that that been played. So. You got to love what what the NFL is right now for us the, the playability, but you know unfortunately the Eagles came up short. But I just think too that you know it's you know you got to have timeouts, you got to little stuff like that towards the end of the game to be able to manage to give yourself a chance to win games. But overall, you know it was a great game. Um, I was excited about you know uh, watching those receivers play. You know you had some good receiver play. So of course uh, the quarterbacks was was you know, was was good on both sides. I think Jalen Hurst should have got the MVP. Uh, he he had the um, most exciting game and complete game to anybody out there on the football field. Jalen Hurst should not have gotten the MVP. In all due respect, the Eagles lost. The play on the losing team should only get the MVP if he stands out clearly as the best player on the field that day. There's little to choose between Hurts and Mahomes. And keep this in mind, Jalen Hurts had an excellent game, but he did gift wrap a touchdown to the Chiefs with that fumble. He wasn't even really hit. It just came out of his hands. And you got to consider that when you evaluate his performance. I'll give him an A, you know, an A minus, an A for how he performed if I have to grade him. But no, he wasn't the MVP. Come on. I mean, you can't give it to him over Mahomes. With the Chiefs winning, well, they could have got they get, they could have gave two MVPs, I think. But uh, but you know, anybody scored three touchdowns, rushing touchdown in a, a Super Bowl game, you look look through the history and see how many people have done that. Nobody. Well, yeah, uh, not we, many. Okay, and the truth of the matter is, is that if the you know, so I, I I will agree with you on what you said. I that it was that fumble that went for a touchdown. That cost him the MVP. Had that play not occurred, had they punted and they just went down and scored, that it's possible that he could have been the MVP in a, on a losing team. It would have I, helped I the Kansas City Packs. Packs. There were nearly two fumbles that were returned for TDs. That you know the Eagles barely. Uh, well, that one was an incomplete. That was an incomplete pass. It was called incomplete right. all year that wasn't long. On him. Yeah, that was a that was an incomplete pass across the board. They're, they've been calling that all year long. The fact that the referees, the referees have done what they are supposed to do. They're supposed to let it play out and then go back to the go back to the the replay to see what what really occurred. So I agree I with how they did it. 
but it wasn't a catch and then fumble. It was an incomplete pass. That first one, obviously, it was he slipped a little bit as he was trying to change hands. Uh, so, it, again, there was a couple of things that happened there. They were able to – the fact that there was four, four – yeah, four Niners – Chiefs right there with nobody around him, that was concerning to me. Like that there was a convoy of Chiefs going into the end zone with nobody near them at all. You know, no, that was what, a heck of a game. No, no, he played a heck of a game. Yeah. I don't mean to diminish him in any way, shape, or form. The big question now with Jalen Hurts is do the Eagles give him the monster contract as he made one of the highest quarterbacks in the NFL? I can sense that be a little bit of apprehension by the Eagles doing that. Okay. A little apprehension. I don't think it's a slam dunk like the Bengals might do with a Joe Burrow. Even the Chargers might do with a Justin Herbert. You get the feeling with the Eagles, they had, they put so many nice pieces around Jalen Hurts. You know, they think, you know, Jalen Hurts is, Excellent for them, but to make him one of the top three, four paid highest quarterbacks in the league, I don't think it's going to be done so quickly by Philadelphia. I disagree. Melissa, I disagree. Melissa, Melissa, thank you for joining the show. This is Paz Girl, and she makes a great point. This one, one of the best she's done uh, on the show. He set records for a Super Bowl performance. Now, you know, Mahomes normally goes to the winner. We've had a couple exceptions to the rule in the past. I think that Patrick, uh, that that Jalen Hurts did deserve the MVP, even in the loss. We talk about him fumbling the ball. The ball was slippery as the field was, and that was the that's why he dropped the ball. It wasn't it wasn't because his hands were too small or anything. He dropped so the ball. That, he was running. He lost his grip. Right, Don't tell me right. slippery stuff. Uh, I think I think it was fumble the same way. Right. Well. Well. It's true. I'll give you that. Running backs handled uh, ball receivers. For the most part, they went fumbling. They said, look, he had a great game, Jalen Hurts. I love Jalen Hurts. Going forward, he should be the Eagle quarterback for years and years. But like I said a moment ago, the big question is, are they going to pay him superstar money? Are I think you don't have a choice. Him? I think one, I think for a couple of reasons. One, one pay him now, and you better pay him now. Before you start getting into the, uh, before before Burroughs gets a contract, because you don't want to have to go above Burroughs, uh, you don't want to have to go against uh, you know Allen, you know go up a, a, against his contract, and you have to look at what Patrick Mahomes got paid. <clears throat> I think you're going to see a Patrick Mahomes esque type of deal, where they're going to sign him for a long term deal. I think that he's he's shown that he is the franchise quarterback, that he had enough of a jump in what he was last year in comparison to what he was this year. I said this year I needed ten more games from him. He went nine and one in those in those ten games. Yeah, that and you can't ask for anything better. You cannot ask for Melissa, anything better. Melissa, we talked about that the the field. The new grass and paint, and she says you should pay the man, and and I don't necessarily disagree with that. So, let's yeah, that he's going to get uh, upwards of forty to forty-five million dollars a year, and it's going to be for a long term, so that they could go ahead and get the longevity. I think it's going to be a very high amount of 
signing bonus and it's going to be like something like somewhere like seven eight year contract so that they can defer a lot of them and uh, so that they can continue to bring in people around him uh, and that's what i think that they you know howie roseman is been uh, a monster in being able to do these types of deals and being able to help and the one thing that i continually think about is that you know in the off season he was working with Tom Brady, you know, and he got to see exactly what Tom Brady does and how he did his things and how he was able to be successful for such a long time. And that was because Tom Brady was able to defer his money. Now, it's a lot easier when your wife makes a lot more money than you do at the time. But that being said, he still got a lot of money during those times. So my expectation is, is that he's going to have a similar trajectory in terms of the way he deals with his money as he as Tom Brady did not necessarily the career I ain't talking about that I'm talking about just I don't know that Jalen Hurts is driven by the dollar as much as maybe some of these other players are well speaking of quarterbacks and making a lot of money uh Byron played with quite a few quarterbacks that didn't make a lot of money in that day uh, because of course the NFL has changed. There's a few quarterbacks that are, you know, are going to be coming up as free agents or are free agents right now uh, that are out there on the market. And uh, I guess Aaron Rodgers has come out of darkness. He saw a shadow, so we're going to have six more weeks of winter, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna see where he goes. There are a few teams, including the Jets, that really can't wait that long to find out where he's going to go. Because, you know, once he gets out there, uh, and it, it may take a, a quite a while before he gets signed, uh, that means you may lose the chance of getting Lamar Jackson some of the other ones. Byron, I'm thinking that for the Jets, and Jack's a Jet fan, that's why we're talking about this a little bit more than we normally would. Um, you know, I think Derek Carr is going to be the immediate answer for him. And I know Jack really doesn't like Derek Carr that much. But I think they got to get a hold of a veteran quarterback. Uh, you know, they're, uh, they're two quarterbacks right now uh, behind him, White and uh, Wilson. Wilson. Uh, probably, yeah, probably are going to be gone. Uh, either that or they may keep one of them. And, you know, you got, you got other quarterbacks out there that I don't think the Jets would really want to hang their hats on, right? You got, um, you got Jimmy G. Uh, you got Baker Mayfield and stuff like that. They're really not going to help the Jets that much. Problem being, if you take on Lamar Jackson, you're going to have to change your offense. It's going to cost you a lot of money and maybe cost you a lot of draft picks. So what do you think the Jets should do as far as the quarterback situation? Yeah, personally, I think they should either sign Derek Carr. Uh, if they could get Aaron Rodgers, would be a good fit. And um, Because they, they got a lot of great talent on their team. I mean, you talk about two two rookies that made uh, on the offensive and defense side. That's that's outstanding in itself. So they got some bright futures, great defense already in place. So I'm thinking uh, Derek Carr would be a good fit. Oh, he's an Aaron Rodgers because both of them can throw that ball and they're veterans and they come in and bring a lot of, a lot to the, to the locker room and to, you know, the leadership on the football field. Right. Yeah, that's the same Derek Carr who's never won a playoff game with the Raiders in all his years. The same Derek Carr, if you look at his record against winning teams, it's been dreadful. 
Yeah. He's not good. He's flat out not good. Can he give the Jets a small bump the first year? Of course. They were seven and ten. I can visualize Derek Carr being their starter and then being ten and seven. But he's not a franchise quarterback. But I think it would basically be like someone wanting to go out and run and get their exercise, and you tell them to run in place. That's Derek Carr. Well, I want to say, yeah. I want to say this too, though, uh, Jack. You know, <laughs> uh, the Raiders was up seventeen points three or four times this year. Derek Carr don't play defense, and I mean, they they blame a lot on Derek Carr, but they defense let him down as well. So I'm just thinking too that Derek Carr's a good player now. I'm I'm just saying that he just he just needs to get in a good fit. I just think that he's don't, didn't have the opportunity like a lot of quarterbacks have, but they defense let them down as well. And also, also, I I I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you here, Jack. Uh, Derek Carr, in seven years playing, played under how many head coaches? Five. Was yeah. six. He had John Gruden. Very yeah, good but he, he was actually there before he was there before John Gruden got there. John Gruden was only there for two years and then left. Then they wound up with that another coach. Then they wound up with another coach. I mean it's you know, they had a few different coaches in part because Derek Carr's not that good and couldn't deliver. So they had five coaches, made, five coaches in seven years. Five coaches in seven Josh years. McDaniels cut Derek Carr, cut him from the team essentially, told him with a couple of games, don't dress, go home, collect your paycheck, you don't have to come into work. That should tell you a lot. Josh McDaniels, he doesn't even have a quarterback well, right well, now. Jack that, tells, Jack, Jack, that tells you the Raiders didn't want to pay that $20 million or whatever he was going to make if he didn't get if he, if he stayed. Yeah. It's contract, well, yeah. That was a mutual thing, Jack. Listen, the, the answer's tough with the Jets. Aaron Rodgers, as great as he might be, isn't a long-term solution. I don't think he's cut out for New York. I think he, this could be Brett Farr revisited when Brett Farr came to the Jets. Uh, Jimmy G isn't that good himself. I mean, he's a decent game manager. He's been hurt. He's not the type of guy going forward that you want as the Jet quarterback for the future. And it, Lamar Jackson would be the answer. I know he gets injured, but if he gets healthy, he's on the field, he's dynamic. He can be sensational. He can be the Jet quarterback for years to come. But, of course, the Ravens might franchise Lamar Jackson if they can't sign him. You know what I would do, guys? You're going to laugh. I would actually work out a deal with the Carolina Panthers, who are probably going to draft a quarterback. I think they're going number nine for Sam Donald, if I could. I'll get Sam Donald back since the Jets are going to keep Zach Wilson. Start Sam Donald. Zach Wilson is the backup between the two of them who are drafted very highly. Let's see whether one of them can work out going forward. I mean, let's just see that. That's your best, and that's solution. why, and that's why the Jets continually just flounder around as a franchise. This is their fans talking that. Do you hear that from the like? That's why the Jets stink. No that's way. Why no way that should happen. No never, way. Never. I don't never. The I don't. That, first I off, Joe Douglas is smarter than that. Joe Douglas is much right. smarter than that. You, you know, and I, I, I'm a fan of Joe Douglas. I think that Joe Douglas goes after. I think Joe Douglas goes after a real quarterback 
after. I think that they, I, I don't think they go after Rogers. I think if you're going to go after somebody specific, you're going to go after, you're going to start to listen to the pundits. You're going to start listening to things that are real rather than whatever. You're going to have what, what is there? There's like seven quarterbacks that are going to be coming out in this draft that are touted. I think that I you agree. are going to go and you, if you're going to invest draft picks why give them to to green bay you know and and go for a guy that you're going to maybe get for one or two years i think that joe douglas understands that maybe the the mistake was with with zach wilson you know what i mean i think you keep zach wilson i don't think that you get rid of him but i do think that you trade up in the draft and you get yourself a real quarterback but if you suffer through another year of Zach Wilson again, while you sit this guy on the bench, get him prepared to be able to do it, and then he takes over on a natural basis. That's what I would do if I was the Jets. Their defense is strong enough. It's their offense that's got the issues. you got to start to go after a real quarterback, and then you have to start to go and solidify your offensive line and then worry about getting – then worry about getting all of the other pieces. I think they've got a pretty decent running back. They've got pretty good wide receivers. They're not great, but they are good enough. Start, start. Go. I would that I would go after a quarterback, and then I would hit up your offensive line, and then worry about starting to put the right things together and the right packages together to allow them to succeed. They took a jump this year. It's time to make another jump. I trust Joe Douglas, and I think that that's the way that he thinks. He's always forward-thinking a little bit, and I think that he also is able to understand mistakes. But, Pax, you don't, but, but, Pax, you don't have to. But, Pax, you don't have to. You don't have to do that. You don't have to. You don't have to just get a free, uh, uh, a draft pick, which I think they should do. I think you get Derek Carr, and then you draft the quarterback. And, and yeah, so, it, yeah it, it's, they go 13. The Jets go, go 13th in the draft in the first round. I mean, it's they not like have what it's not like they're going to get Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. They could move I up. Mean, Byron, what do you think? No, I'm just thinking that you know, I, I still believe in rookies have to have some time to, to get to make that adjustment to the national football league. You don't see too many rookie quarterbacks come in and play their first year. I mean, it just don't hardly happen anymore. You know, you got you got to put them in going to maybe midseason to the half second year. Um, if you if you look at all the quarterbacks that have came into the league, they just ain't ready for they just ain't ready for the play. I mean, just look at Malik Malik, the guy that played at Tennessee, he wasn't ready. So it's it's just player after player is not ready to play in the National Football League that rookie year. So I'm just thinking that there's not that many quarterbacks that can play. I know, I know, Jack. Jack, I know you disagree with him. I know you do. So I'm gonna let you go. I think that it all depends on the quarterback. There are a few quarterbacks that can jump in there, Gerald Burrows, and, and a couple others that yeah. can jump in there and play right away. But the majority can't. Go ahead, Jack. Mac, you nailed it perfectly. There are some who can't, some who can't. Malik Willis was a third round draft selection. He he didn't go high as an elite quarterback. So a guy like him, you don't expect to step in immediately. But Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, you expect those guys to step in immediately. I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you a name. Uh, I swear I'm going to give you a name. I'm not a college guy. You know that I'm not a college guy. But this is the name to watch, and I think he'll fall to the Jets, and the Jets would be wise to pick him up. The guy's name is Tyson Bajant. 
And I know that I know the kid through his father, you know, so I followed this kid's career. He has set records on all division two. He's got a very similar uh, stature that uh, like Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, and he's, like he said, he's a lesser known kid. So he's going to be at the combine. You're going to be able to see a little bit. So I think that he'll, he'll draft status will rise, but he set every record in division two football at like every single one. He was just a beast. His father is one of the best arm wrestlers. So that's how I even know about this kid, but he is an amazing, he's an amazing talent and he's going to be so far off the radar that he could fall to the Jets, and the Jets would be wise round, to take one him. round. <clears throat> yeah, first round. He's a first round talent. He's absolutely no, no, first no. Round but where player. would he realistically be available to be selected? I think that he's going to be somewhere in the ten to ten to fifteen, ten to eighteen range. That's no, no, where he'll I'm fall. First round draft selection. First round draft selection. He okay, is that no type of talent. Talking about no one's talking about him. He's not going to go ten. Don't worry. You're going to hear about him. You're going to hear about him once you, you know, March first. March first starts. The Will combine. he be invited to the combine? Yeah, he was invited to the combine. So he's okay, he's going to be there. You're going to see. Like I'm said. telling you. You know me that I don't talk about college players very often, uh, but I've watched this young man. I've watched his tape. I've seen him be able to do some of the things that he's able to do. And I tell you, he's going to go like he's unknown right now. He is going to climb up the ranks very quickly. It could be possible yeah. he goes in the top 10. He could be in the Max, top you, 10. Max, you <laughs> said, you know, segued, I don't allow my you segued, to the combine. Max, you, there we go. Pack, you segued into a great thing, the combine. Jack hates the combine. He don't think there's any use for the combine. Guys running around in shorts with no shirts. And doing yeah. things that you know that we do out in the backyard. Of course, Byron yeah. and I met Pags think think there is some worth to the combine. You get to talk to the kids, the coaches, the coaches visit with them, they get to see how prepared they are. They also get to see uh their their physical attributes, if you will. So there's a big difference here about about uh you know whether a combine is good or not. I kind of think it is anytime you get a chance to. Uh, talk to a player, know his mindset. I think that's a good thing. Uh, but go ahead, Jack. I'll, I'll let you have that. Well, I mean, listen, the Jets had Justin Fields ahead of Zach Wilson on their depth chart until they had the combines. Then they see, oh, Zach Wilson can throw across his body the way no other quarterback can. He's showing this athleticism, you know, what an arm he has on him. So they take him ahead of Justin Fields. And we saw, you know, the way that worked out because of the combines. You have enough tape on the kids' college careers. They follow these elite talents from high school through college. Just look at the game film. And if, as far as character goes, as, just look at the police flotter. The guy hasn't gotten arrested more than once. You take a chance on him. More than once. <laughs> well, they, they look at some intangible things, you know, to see how intelligent they are. Make sure that they're not going to make any stupid mistakes on the uh, off the field as well. So there's a lot more to the combine. Just you know, it's the measurements and it's what they see, though. But I think too, you have a close-up relationship um, with the uh, with with the players. I mean, I just left the end of the Super Bowl last week, and I went to the Exos, and they had some of the top 50 players out there. So you see, I, and I was looking at them, and I, you can see a different the different dynamics of what they bring to the table. So I think the combine is, is very valuable. 
Okay. So there you go. Right. And I, I, I think that I think that there are definitely some people who naturally gain status at the combine that may not be worth the status that they gain. I agree that that happens. I mean, Mike Mamula starting back, you know, talking about 20 years ago where his stock rose tremendously at the combine. Was it worth it to that? You know, only thing that Mike Mamula did was start the hurry statistic. That's what, that's what he is known for because he was so close to getting to the quarterback so frequently that they started to think of it. And then they, I wonder how many other people are getting that close to him all the time. And he started the hurry statistic. That's all that Mike Mamula was really known for. I mean, he was okay. He was an okay defensive end, but you know, he was not worth the jump from 25 to 7, which is where he wound up going with the Eagles. Yeah. Well, you look know, at so what happened. Good. Pat, the Jacksonville Jaguars went first last year. Based on the combine, they take Jalen Walker over Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, Walker's going to be a good play in the league for Jacksonville. He's going to be very good. He's going to work out. But this is Aiden Hutchinson was a sure thing. You knew he was going to be outstanding, which he's been for the Lions. But they see a little more upside in the guy at the combine because he can jump a little higher in their so-called test. You know, I mean, it's all about. Uh, I mean, but was he also? He was offensive line, right? That was yeah. offensive line in comparison yeah. to defensive line. That's the difference. I mean, I understand why you're talking about Aiden Hutchinson, but they had more of a need on the offensive line. No, 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 no. It's, uh, no, defensive. No, defensive. Oh, he was defensive line. And so yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Was, I can't, yeah. I can't but speak intelligently is, on why. The point, why but the point, the point is, <laughs> well, no, I mean, I guess there was probably another deal. I mean, there's, there's usually back, back. Backside deals where I mean Detroit wanted to pick Speaking, wait, wait, wait. Speaking but, of the Eagles, don't they go tenth in the draft this year? Tenth yeah, and thirty first. Would have been nice to be tenth and thirty second, but didn't happen that way. As yeah. it turned out, was that a win win deal that the Saints made with the Eagles? They got Chris Olive, who's turned out to be a pretty good, you know, receiver for them. So is that was that a win win deal for both teams? I think so, especially since now the New Orleans got that pick back with uh, from Denver. So yeah. it's like I think that that makes it easier. That makes them a little bit more whole, you know, and has a, a first by having a first round pick. Not having that first round pick was probably a bigger deal to them, you know, in terms of, you know, could they have felt a little unwhole going into this draft that, you know, as good of a player as I love was, uh, is it was it worth the trade to lose this year's first round pick? I think now that they've got that pick back, uh, that they are probably a lot more uh, secure, and that it does make it more of a win-win for them. Right. Just one I want to say, I want to say this: certain teams have that they certain teams have some better scouting department than others. So the scouting department is a big factor as well. Yeah, great point. Yeah, great but well. One more thing, uh, Byron could tell you how important backup quarterbacks are in the league because, you know, you're one play away from having to go with your backup. With all this talk about with the Eagles signing Jalen Hurts, what's the situation with their backup Minshew? Because every team needs a good backup in an emergency. Is Minshew gone? I mean, because he would be in demand as a backup for some other teams, I'm sure. No, I'm mean, still under contract. You know, out of all the, uh, you know, and I, 
they're talking about all of the different free agents that are on this team right now that the Eagles have to resign. That there was, uh, I think, twelve or fourteen, you know, of pretty pretty well known names, uh, but he's not one of them. So the somebody would have to make a trade for him. I think he remains. I think they want to keep as much consistency as possible since they just did lose Steichen to uh, the Colts. They are they are you know elevating their quarterbacks coach to offensive coordinator. So I think that you're going to want to keep the quarterback locker room in place. But the other thing that I noticed, obviously, and that I feel that you're going to start to see a little bit more is start seeing third quarterback in the room. I think you're going to start seeing third number three quarterbacks start to elevate and you're going to see like veterans, like heavy duty veterans that have been in the league for a long time and they're going to be the number three quarterbacks, uh, a different set of eyes, almost like a, a, a another coach on you know on the sidelines to be able to help the quarterback specifically who could possibly come in. I think that that's what we learned from the 49ers, that you need to have a number three quarterback and always, always a number three. You can't just you can't just go to the next man up when you're into that deep in the depth. So you have to have you have to have other quarterbacks that are ready to go at a moment's notice because you never know when that moment's coming. That's yeah, really you can get the interest this year, you know, for us quarterbacks. I mean, 18, 18 scheduled weeks, you know, you got one week off. So that's a longer season now. So you got more interest this year than ever before. So, yes, no doubt you got to have two to three quarterbacks. That's why they added the number of people on the practice roster. And it doesn't matter whether you play one year or two years, they can add you can add players to the practice roster. And so you got to keep some those guys in the in the uh you know in the midst of uh of the roster. So what you have to you they come on and they can come off. So definitely you got to have three good quarterbacks. And, and they, well, they were talking about adding the fifty-fourth player being that emergency quarterback that, that you were going to have the ability to have that third quarterback. Uh, dressed, and he would be a 54th player uh, on the roster, uh, and that he can only play in, in the same like that old rule. He can only play once the other two get hurt, and they can't they can't play another quarterback if he gets in the game and stuff like that. It's it's a it's one of those funny rules that they have. That it's an ancient rule, but it's going to come back into play, and I think that they're going to vote on that this year and probably approve it because they don't want games like what happened with the in the conference championship where you have a quarterback that's just you know I mean once they got once they got hurt there was no chance you can't just have a running back be a play quarterback and I think that that's that is going to be a big deal well let's get a little nostalgic before I do that uh, some shameless plugs as you see here I'm holding a Mac and Jack sports cup that are available to be to be purchased. Uh, you go check our uh, nessp.info website where we have all our shows and insiders. You'll see prices. You can email uh, down at the address at the bottom that's rolling across the screen to go ahead and, and get a cup or to advertise. Um, Byron, you know, there are, there are what we call dirty players, right, in the NFL. You know, and uh, one of the dirtiest players was Conrad Dobler. He'd kick you, he'd bite you. He'd do anything he could to intimidate you. And we and you guys talked about it a little bit on your show. 
Right. Dick Lucas was also known as a very dirty player. He'd punch you in the mouth while you were in the ground and, and yeah. take a, a jab into your into your ribs or whatever he had to do to get that ball at the bottom of the pile where Jack does never want to be. So let's let's for a minute just in fun and it might have happened, I don't remember. Conrad Dobler, a pulling guard against Dick Buckus at middle linebacker. Um heck of a fight, wouldn't it be? Heck of a fight. You know, they used to knock they used to knock the players teeth out. You know, they yes. grabbed the helmet and throw the helmet off. I mean, you talking about some knockout, drag out fights. I mean, Conrad was the number one uh lineman that would knock you out, punch you in the nuts, whatever, whatever happened. I mean, he he was a dirty player. He was known to be a dirty player. And that's when you used to play the old St. Louis Cardinals, you would always have to uh, contend with uh Conrad. Yes, yes. And Dick Buckus was uh, what an animal. I still watch videos of, of him today. He was big as a defensive lineman. Uh, and back in the day, maybe bigger than some of them. And uh, boy, he'd ring your bell and just it'd throw you out of bounds. It was, it was a great, it was a great time in the NFL, Byron. It really was. They had a, uh, they had guys used to, they used to keep up with how many helmets they used to crack. I mean, I know Mike Singletary would crack so many helmets as well. He was one of those players, but. They used to have rules like that to what who cracked the most helmets and things like that who broke who broke the the most nose who broke the people's noses and all kind of things like that that was fun football back in the day yes yes and uh of course the bottom of the pile uh some really great stories about that so um let's Pax mentioned the coaches and, and we've talked about this earlier but you're on brad's uh you're on uh, Byron, so we're going to talk about a little bit of the coaching hires. Eagles were tapped uh, of their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. Um, you know, one was tapped as a head coach, or were they both tapped as head coaches? Um, they both were. Yes. Steichen, um, Steichen with uh, the Colts. Right. And, uh, so, so I know the Eagles are a very organized organized team there. They're, they're front office all the way down. Pags and Byron, how will this affect the Eagles going forward, and will this help the other two teams uh, getting these two young coaches? Well, I always look at the Rams. The last couple of years, they staff been going other places as well. I think it'll affect them somewhat, but if they can keep the majority of their players on that team, I think they'll be okay because they still got the same head coach, and he's gonna bring in he's gonna bring in the coaches that he needs. I think it's just the chemistry of of keeping those impact players. Uh, in the midst of on that team. So I don't think it affect them quite as much as they did the Rams just because of the fact that, the, you know, those coaches on the Rams a little bit longer maybe. But definitely, um, you know, the, the, the Eagles should be okay, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe that the uh, the offensive coordinator is really is really uh, Sirianni. You know, that's that's what happens yeah, there. And I think that Steichen helped – uh, but uh, your Nick Sirianni is the offensive coordinator. I think that what you're like, what you're seeing in Denver, where they brought out Rex Ryan, is going back into coaching. He's going to be the defense. I feel that that's what the Eagles' thought process is. They like to have two head coaches, one on the offensive side, one on the defensive side. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see somebody. Uh, I think that the Eagles like to go a little bit on the younger side uh, with. Uh, the, the coordinators, they're not going to pull out like somebody very specific. You want to have a, like with Peterson, they had uh, 
they had Schwartz. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't think that it's going to be somebody of that ilk. I think it's going to be somebody a little bit younger, uh, somebody who is able to ready to ready to take that jump. Uh, but I also feel that they I needed somebody who is able to take a chance. That was the problem I had with Gannon. You know, when I, I when you know when Schwartz left, I felt that his defense he never blitzed. And that you needed the blitz on occasion. You need to be able to take a chance. It was that bend don't break defense. And of course, like got somebody who was real happy to to see Schwartz leave, but be careful what you wish for because you then I we got Gannon, who was a great a system. His system is, is a great system, but it requires the talent to work. You need to have that amazing talent for that system to work. And that also, that system was able to be coached against, which is what we saw in the Super Bowl, that he was able to get, he was outcoached by Andy Reid. And that offense, you know, that offense completely exposed a couple of failures that that, that, that defense had. And that's where I feel that we need a different defensive coordinator who was willing to take a little bit of a risk, willing to take a little bit of a chance. And had they taken a couple of chances, it's okay if you get the offensive scoring the points that it was. It's it's when you're not taking that chance. Like, what if? When you start to think about what could have been, that's that's what I have an issue with. Now, immediately after the game, Andy Reid gave – Props on two separate occasions uh, to Eric Bieniemy. He said, "What a great game plan he drew up." You know, plays. Even though Andy recalled the plays during the game, he went out of his way on a couple of occasions to praise Eric Bieniemy. And now, with all these head coaching jobs going elsewhere, Eric Bieniemy isn't in the running for any of them. And I keep thinking what our own Jim Jeffcoat said about Eric Bieniemy having inside information. Because the other day, I'm watching ESPN, and they're going on and on. Well, why can't Eric Bieniemy get a job just because he hasn't called plays? And they list uh, a number of uh, new head coaches who didn't call the plays either. So there's more to Eric Bieniemy's situation than his capabilities as a potential head coach. I mean, if he didn't have a certain background, you know, and we don't know what it is, and we don't want to know what it is in all honesty, uh, he wouldn't, you know, he would have gotten a head coaching job by now for Mm -hmm. sure. It's more than just football, okay, Uh, related. I agree. I think that he's he's probably not the best interviewer. I think that uh, I think that's why he's making his this change. Tags. No, he, he has something. He's making a lateral movement. That's why he's making the lateral movement to go to Washington, and become the offensive coordinator there. I think that he needs a change of scenery and to get out from underneath Andy Reid. And if he has as good a season as he did this year, you will definitely him looked at for more head coaching jobs. I, I, I think that it was you know, he was stymied. Pats, you're missing the point here. Eric Bieniemy has the credentials. Anyone in his position would get hired in the snap of a finger with the success they've had. He has something in his background that's pretty shady. Yes. Okay, that's unpleasant. That teams that they're going to have to deal with because as soon as an Eric Bieniemy gets a head coaching job. It's made public. People come out of the woodwork. That's just the way it is. That's Byron, the reason 
not getting a job. Byron and Jim talked about this on their show, and they do know what happens as I happen as I do. I don't know if we're going to talk about that or not. But Byron, uh, during his college coaching days, there was a couple situations with a player, I think it was, uh, that really blew up uh, on the campus. And that's why, you know, he's never been, will be offered a head coaching job, in my opinion. And I'm not sure exactly uh, what the, the player did, but I know it was pretty bad, Byron. Yeah, Jim talked about it. I don't know exactly what it was, but it was something that happened at the University of Colorado that happened that uh, I think that's really have tagged him uh, from from in his career. So I think that's that may be the issue. And uh, Jim Jim knew exactly what it was, but I didn't I didn't quite get you know I didn't go dig into it. But I, I really like him. I think he need to need a shot. I mean, they're giving everybody else a shot, so. Uh, you know he might be he might be outstanding once he get the job, but still though it's, you know your 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 history and your your background and your your past sometimes can hunt you. So I think right now that's what's happening to him. You know the problem is is that it'll be kept under wraps until he gets named head coach. Then it will all come flying out, and then it's going to embarrass him, embarrass the team, and they're going to have to let him go or something. So you know I me mean, smarter to stay as an offensive coordinator. And Pax, thanks. I didn't know he went over to Washington as offensive coordinator. Yeah, they 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 put his name up there this week. I think they said that he's going to be the offensive coordinator. I know he was up for the job. All right. All right. Cool. So well, one more thing about – Guys, if you're going to be an assistant coach, a coordinator, even if you're not calling the plays in Kansas City exactly, why would you want to leave Patrick Mahomes? That's the most cushiony – a coordinated job you can have. Who's he going to have? Sam Howell as his quarterback? You know, Washington. Come on. I think he's going to. I think he's doing that to prove that he could be a head coach. There you go. I think, I think that's. I think that's. Coach. Well, no. Well, I mean, obviously, obviously, he hasn't had any of the opportunities. Yeah, you know, whether it be for his history or whatever, there has to be. You have to sometimes. You got to get out of the shadow. And start to create your own light. And that's yeah. the only way. He had to get out of the shadow of Andy Reid and start to create his own light so that he is able to get. Are you going to talk? Are you going to. If you're going to be. If you have issues that you have to overcome, you have to be able to argue why you're overcoming them. Yeah. able to do something really good in Washington this year. He's going to they're going to start to think about how they can overcome some of the, you know, some of the challenges of his past to be able to create and allow him to be the head coach. I think that's what this move is about. And I think personally. that's a key word. I think that's a key word challenge. I think we all, especially in sports want to be challenged. I, I you know, it's all well and good to, to sit back and, and collect the fruits of a great, great uh, run that you've had. But you want to challenge yourself. You want to you want to see what you could do in a different situation. Yeah. So no doubt. So agreed. Okay. One more one more football thing before we pass on. To, uh, we push on to the other sports. Um, XFL is coming up. Um, have is the country saturated for football? I know we love our football, and I know the XFL last year drew really well. Um, Jim Jeffcoat, of course, was I. 
he was following that. He wasn't used to go and watch the Texas team play a lot. And they did have some big crowds in some areas and some very small crowds in others. Do you think, guys, that, that we're oversaturated with football, or do you think this is just something that we can't get enough of? What do you think? I'm going to say this. Uh, with Byron and Matt, I put you two together in a group. Pax, I think, is a little more like me. You have to understand the XFL is about more about entertainment it should be than football. It can't survive with smash mouth basic football. It can't. It's got to be entertaining, razzle-dazzle. That's the only way the XFL survives. I mean, we're always looking for entertainment. But what, what do the XFL standings mean? How many people can name teams, let alone players in the XFL? But if you develop certain personalities, okay, and make it a lot of fun, people like the long ball. They like the kickoff returns, the razzle-dazzle. I mean, that's the only way it could survive. It can't survive if they play it the same way the NFL plays the game. Well, I, 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 I think it gives guys a little bit more opportunity to, to play to the, you know, to get to the, to the NFL, to that platform. Um, it definitely uh, a lot of football. And, but I think it's going to be some fun football. You got some good name coaches. Um, and, got, and then they got the potential of players uh, – in between college and pros, so I think it's a it's a platform to, for guys to continue their their passion and um, and to make some money. But yet, I think uh, too they got a couple of TV deals, and uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson is one of the key factors of the XFL. Uh, I had guys calling me all week about can we get some tickets to the game this weekend? So I'm trying to get some guys to the game. So there's interest for us got people that still want to go and watch football. Back. And I, I think between that and the USFL, obviously this is what I think is exactly what I think it is. It is a, it's, uh, you know, it's division one league. You know what I mean? This is, this is a way for players who aren't quite there at the NFL roster to show their wares and be able to get on an NFL roster. I mean, the USFL had, I think it was 48 players go from USFL teams to NFL teams and not just right away. It was like throughout the season, players were able to get picked from the USFL teams and sign NFL contracts. And I think yeah. that's what this is about. I think that you need a minor league system in the, I think before they had it over in Europe, it was a different scenario over there. It wasn't quite the same. It was too far away. You know, now you have it in in the country. You have it. I mean, XFL has what eight, ten teams. The NFL, the USFL has eight teams. That's what you're looking at. You want to be able to have it uh, locally. You want to be able to go see uh, all the teams and all the players, so that you're not spending a lot of money sending somebody overseas, some somebody you know, sending the scouts over there to look at it over there. You know, it's like you can actually see the player. You can see how they're uh, dealing with their coaching staff and stuff like that, first and foremost, to see if you want to be able to pluck some of these players. And I think that's that's important. You know, it's not just – it's NFL has gotten a lot bigger than just college. I think that once you get past college and you haven't gotten drafted, and if you're like – you know, if you didn't make it in those first seven rounds, that's only 250 players that get chosen. You have now other opportunities to be able – 
athletes want to do and play professional sports without being one of the elite of the elite. You could be really good, show your wares, and still get chosen later on. Thanks, thanks. Wait, wait. Last year, the USFL, didn't the team from Philadelphia go to the championship game? I don't remember. Something like that. I was there, yes. Okay. No, no. But the point is, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the vast majority of football fans in Philadelphia. Does anyone really care that they they lost that game, as I recall? They did. did they? Yeah. Oh, but people in Philadelphia didn't care, you know, on balance. The Eagles. Well, I mean, I mean, think about that. The USFL played all their games in Birmingham, Alabama. So there wasn't any feel for the team. They, they had the name. They had the Philadelphia Stars name as a name. But they didn't. They didn't get to see any of the games. They didn't get to really feel for any of the players. Uh, the USFL did what they needed to do to be able to survive last year by doing the bubble type of situation. This year they're expanding out to four different cities. Not one of them is in Philadelphia, obviously. So they're going to be able to. They're playing in Detroit. I've already been asked, "Am I going out to Detroit to go to any of these games?" them unless the USFL pays for me to go out there because I don't I don't have the money to be able to go out there especially when there's Phillies especially when there's uh, the Philadelphia Union you know when we're going to be going to the draft there's a lot of other things that I am uh, slated to do so unless I'm going out there to get paid you know or they're paying for me to go out there I'm not going out there I know, you know Byron and- disagrees with this with Mac but it's got to be made entertaining the XFL. Like I said, you need someone like The Rock, a Stone Cold Steve Austin to come barging into the locker room at halftime and body slam someone. That's going to get viewers. Or you do something crazy. Each team tanks one possession to even things out. You bring LT back for one play and let him go on a blitz and they don't block him, of course, and let him fall on top of the guy. Giant fans will go crazy for the nostalgia, and then you get them out of the game. But just the idea, darn it, LT is going to play tonight. He's activated. You know, you're going to watch the darn game. I mean, make it entertaining, you know, tweak it to make it really entertaining. Well, well, I don't disagree disagree with that uh, to to a point. I think it should be fun. I think it's like a minor league baseball uh, game, right? You go there to have fun and – you know, to enjoy the, the surroundings. And I saw LT. I don't know if he, I don't know if you would just let him go to the quarterback, Jack. He's he's still in pretty good shape there. He might he might hurt the quarterback. So I don't think you'd do well, that. What I was but trying I to do hey, what I was trying to do here in Dallas is get Ed Tutal Jones to, to break crash into the locker room with boxing gloves on. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean good. you just you, you set it up entertaining look wrestling's ratings so go through the roof because of the personalities matches on real xfl is associated with the you know wwe so you bring uh you know you bring the wrestlers in there the stone cold steve austin you have him push the coach aside and he addresses the team that he's gonna whoops some behinds you know unless they stop playing better you know you get the crossover you get the wrestling fans who wouldn't watch that as well listen even boxing as crazy as it seems you know there's a fight that's going to be taking place in the cup the, the weekend after next jake paul okay uh he's going to be fighting tommy fury tyson fury's brother that's pay-per-view 
Okay, yeah. Jake Paul's getting a big name. He's a YouTube guy. That's all he is. He's a novice boxer for the most part, a novice pro at least. I mean, he's stuck with it the last three, four years. So I do give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, but he's enter entertaining. You know, that that's the thing about it. And we're living in an age of young people in entertainment. And the old timers. Yeah, like, but I think you still got to keep it a sport. To hold on to the old time, you know, principles. Go ahead, yeah, Pax. Still got it. You still got to keep it a sport. I think that the XFL is good for a couple of things. One, like I said, it's it's a minor league system. Two, it's able to test out the things that you need to have tested out that you can't test out during the NFL. So, like, you could do, okay, are we going to have a three-point uh, extra point play? You know, that, that happens from the uh, – do the 15 – onsides kick rule you know what i mean uh those are certain things that get tried out at the xfl and the usfl level that you are unable to be tried out in the nfl and if they prove to work then you could maybe incorporate them into the mix you know it's like it's it's like incorporating a one-point play in 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 football somewhere so that somebody could actually win uh one nothing you can't happen. It yeah. can't happen in football. There is no such thing. But if you were to make some type of rule that some type of play was a one-point play, that you could actually do that. Uh, and it doesn't, you know, like I said, there's not any way to be able to make that happen at all. I want to ask Byron a question with the Super Bowl, the last play of the game. I can never figure this out in the NFL. Last play of the game, you have to fling the ball down the field for a touchdown. You might have it in your own 20-yard line. you got 80 yards to go. The same principles should apply. Like when I was a kid playing two-hand touch, you just buy time and throw the ball as far as you can. Why can't the receivers just run down the field? I know they might have three guys on them. I'm aware of all that. But you never see a true Hail Mary, you know, in the sense if you're deep in your own territory and you only have one play left. Rather, they try these gimmick laterals, which you barely have a prayer of making work, okay? And, and then Jalen Hurts, the last play of the game, he had one pass left in him. And why didn't he fling it all the way down the field? You mean A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith? who can run like theirs, they can't get down there somehow, even though they're going to be surrounded by a bunch of other players. I, I don't get it. Well, I think, I think it's the philosophy of the office coordinator, what they believe in, but, you know. It's I think, one you play know. left. Well, it's, it's one play. Even Tom Brady losing to the Giants in the Super Bowl was able to fling the ball down the field at least. Why couldn't Jalen Hurts just fling it as far as he can and hope he you get lucky with one of your elite receivers. And yet was, he threw a duck. He threw a duck on the last play of the game. Well, it, it actually was tipped. It was tapped. It was touched. I mean, they finally got they, – uh, they they did a rush on him, uh -huh. and it, it was deflected a little bit. So yeah, uh, that's that's how that ended. You know, that's why it, it seemed a little soft. Uh, oh, okay. But it's it's a 70. It still went 50 yards. He needed it to go 70 yards. Yeah. 
you know, I, 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 the, I the goal is they try to get it to the 40 or the 50 uh, midfield before they try to throw the hammer. That's been one of the ultimate goals to do for his offensive side. But you know, I just he didn't have time. He was deep in his own territory, just fling the dawn thing yeah, as far I, as he I, can go. I thought, I thought, I thought Jackie should he should roll out like most Hail Mary throws. They roll out and then they throw yeah. the ball. That way, they don't have a chance to get a tap. But again, you know, yeah, that's okay. Monday night quarterbacking. Um, one more thing before we move on, and I promise we will move on to other sports. We brought up the combine. We got the OTAs coming up. Um, there's quite a few things still coming up. Mandatory OTAs versus involuntary uh, OTAs. Uh, we saw what happened with a couple quarterbacks that did not go to the voluntary uh, uh, OTAs, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Byron, you know, I imagine you went to the OTAs way back when, when they were hitting. They don't do that anymore, and I think it affects the games a lot. Um, how important are the OTAs uh, to the team? I think it would be more important to get to know the players, get to know each other, uh, maybe work on some technique because you're not hitting anything but maybe a dummy. Um, but it really isn't the same anymore, and I think it's affected, especially the blocking of the offensive linemen uh, during a game where – where it just their technique is terrible and these guys are just running around them. Yeah, I think OTA is, is important. I think you got to you got to still hit and and um, you you know you got to have the contact. But OTAs is I guess is about the timing. Especially I think it's good for the receivers, the, the running backs, and defensive backs, and that's what they mostly concentrate on. The linemen do more you know lifting and things like that, and then they be, be putting in their special plays. I think the playbook. Just getting familiar with the playbook is very important overall in the team strategy and, and things that they want to do. But OTAs, I think, is uh, important. But a lot of guys skip the OTAs, and I think that's not good either because some of those guys try to have in their contract that they can skip one or two OTAs. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just I just think uh, they made a big mistake taking contact out of the practices where – you know, you can get game ready. And I know we've talked about it at nausea, but I think it's very important. Uh, and, and Byron, as I told you before, I think you should get the NFLPA, even though they're not going to want to do it, to uh, go ahead and sign off on there being contact during practices. So uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. So let's jump into the NBA. I know Byron played basketball. Jack played was a coach in basketball. Uh, Pags, uh, I don't know if he played. Did you play basketball, Pags? Not well. Okay. <laughs> I played a little basketball as a point guard. I was okay. You know, nothing nothing fantastic. I was great so, at the bounce pass. <laughs> you're really okay. Good. Well, the, the uh, Justin Holiday uh, designed with the Mavericks. Uh, Celtics, they're mainly walking wounded right now. Tatum came back uh, for the last game, but they're playing well. they got a very good bench over there. Um, so let, let's talk about the Celtics a little bit. Um, I think they're going to the championship this year where they'll probably end up playing against Kevin Durant in, in Denver. Uh, it's a ways off yet. A lot of things could happen. Of course, you got Milwaukee and Philadelphia involved. Isn't he in Phoenix? Uh, yeah, Phoenix. Phoenix. Sorry, my bad. My bad, Phoenix. So I think I think there's going to be a uh, uh, probably a three-team team race in the East between Milwaukee, uh, Celtics, and 76ers. Um, and, in, and in the uh, – and the West, every, I mean, I think there's the top 10 teams are three and a half games out from each other. So it's very close over there. So, Jack, I mean, you being a coach 
of the NBA uh, high school. I mean, what do you see about the NBA in the East this year? Do you think the Celtics uh, win it or Milwaukee? Is it Philadelphia? Who do you think? I see unbelievable parity in the NBA. I mean, a number of teams could win it. It depends on how they really peak with Milwaukee getting back Middleton. That's going to help a lot. And it's hard to bet against Giannis. The Philadelphia 76ers remind me of a package handled with care. It seems like a tightrope. James Harden, can he go through a playoff grind and stay healthy and be close to his old self? I seriously question that. And uh, Maxi hasn't turned out to be the type of player that was projected for him. He's even coming off the bench a lot. And the Sixers don't have really a very deep bench. So I don't put them quite on the level of Milwaukee and Boston. But, you know, at the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're the team I picked to come out of the East in the beginning of the year. And I'm going to stick with it because the Cleveland Cavaliers, I mean, they were trending in the right direction before they got Donovan Mitchell. And he was he's their one big impact player. But they have a bunch of guys who could rebound like Mobley, Allen, and the chemistry is really, really good with that team. They really pride themselves on playing defense, and they're just going to get better, you know, as we go along. And uh, in the West, I wouldn't be so quick, Mac, to concede anything to Phoenix. I mean, let's not forget about Golden State, even though they've been basically treading water the whole year. They'll get in the play-in at the very least, maybe in the playoffs. And Golden State strikes me as the type of team who might put it all together come playoff time if they're healthy. So I wouldn't discount them, even though with the deal Phoenix getting Kevin Durant, it does make them, you know, a slight favorite, I think, coming out of the West. I guess right now are leading the the West. They're 41 and 18. They're the only team over that that they won 40-some games. I mean, the Memphis Grizzlies, um, they, they've they been playing good good basketball. The surprise has been the Sacramento Kings. They right now, they third in the West. And then, you know, you got the Clippers playing okay. And, and then the Suns are really fifth out of, you know, out of the team. And then the Mavericks, uh, they 31-29. But, you know, I just think the Warriors, um, they 29-29. They even right now. So, uh, you know, with 50, you know, 58 games being played, you know, and they got to go get to 82, anything can happen in the West. But you know, it's a tight run right there uh, in the West, for sure. I just want to say something. You mentioned Sacramento, Byron. Mike Brown, their coach, mm-hmm. to me, he's coach of the year so far because with that group, to have them in that position, not, when you talk about who potentially could win the NBA championship, Sacramento's name never comes up. We were expecting them, if anything, to just fall as the season went along. And kudos to Mike Brown. He was the Cavalier coach. He had two stints. They got rid of him in the first stint because they wanted to keep LeBron. And LeBron has been a bit of a coach killer throughout his career. Right. Uh, and, and then after LeBron moved on, they rehired Mike Brown, which shows they never wanted to let him go in the first place. If you need any evidence as far as LeBron's indirect involvement, okay, yeah. indirect involvement. And then he was the assistant coach for years under Steve Kerr, you know, with the Warriors. Yeah. And he goes on to Sacramento. So uh, 
Mike Brown is doing a heck of a job with the Sacramento Kings. Is actually yes for that. Pat, no talk about Doc Rivers. It seems like the fire Doc Rivers chance have stopped. Uh, you know, it seems like he's secure right there, at Philly. <laughs> okay. You just <laughs> haven't heard of it. Yeah, you just haven't heard it because we've been talking about football. <laughs> <laughs> Pags, yeah. let me get you. Let me get your on, on your opinion uh, on your favorite team, the New York Knicks. Um, Brunson is is on fire right now. It was a great pickup for the Knicks. Um, he scored forty points, I think, in the last three or four games, uh, and they're winning. They're not losing like other teams when their stars, one of their stars, picks up and plays well, like Dallas. Right? Yeah. Dallas. Dallas uh, hasn't won a game since Luke, Luca, and uh, and uh, Kyrie have been there, so. I mean, do you see the Knicks as a threat at all in the East? No, um, I don't. I, I I'll be honest. I'm so far removed from basketball at the moment that I, I really don't have all of the answers that you you know for any of these questions that you could probably ask me. Uh, that being said, I I think that the Knicks will nick it up. You know what I mean? Uh, they they are what the fifth best team in the East at you know at best i think that you know when i think about who the teams are that are going to be playing for the eastern conference i think of milwaukee and boston i think that the you know, the sixers are going to be out in the second round again i think that cleveland is going to be out in the second round i think that the knicks are still not better than cleveland you know and cleveland's actually got a pretty good team this year so yeah. my thought is is that they are at least fifth best at best uh, and you know, when you, you know, if you're even in that fifth or sixth spot, I mean, we still got a good Miami team that hasn't really put it together this year yet. That are right. probably going to come on strong after the all-star break and start to gain momentum. So I, I don't, I don't trust the Knicks yet just because, you know, it's the Knicks, you know what I mean? That they have, they, they got a couple of good players, but they are inconsistent, you know, enough. Uh, to not be able to get into that top tier of the four teams in the East. Yeah. Well, the concern with the Knicks a little bit is R.J. Barrett, good player, but he hasn't taken the next step. He hasn't shown he can be a star in the league. Like you would hope that his progression would be such that he would have a major impact for the Knicks. But right Right now, you know, you question, you know, how erratic he is. You'll have a good night, a bad night, a good night, a bad night. When you're already, like, in your third year, so you just want a little more consistency. Yeah, I don't know what the, what what they're going to do with him. I don't know what they could get for R.J. Barrett, uh, draft picks or free agents. They definitely need uh, another dominating uh, free agent scorer there, and I don't know if they'll be able to get that this year. Byron, the Lakers. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they got a, a new looking team. They're faster. They're going up and down the court. Um, the players are starting to play together. There's only three and a half games out of first place right now. Um, listen, out of a playoff position, not first well, playoff, place. Sorry, playoff position. Well, no, I think they're three and a half out of first right now, Jack. Uh, right now, if you look at the standings, no, 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 not there's, even close. Um, they, they 27 to 32. They, they right, <laughs> what they 13, they at the bottom. Uh, yeah, Matt, they're not even close. I, 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 I thought I saw they were like three and a half. 
Mac had them closing in on first place. Yes, Mac yes. Was, Mac was about to gu was gushing how well the Lakers are playing in at twenty-seven and thirty-two. They just um, making the news as usual. They just always make the news. That's for sure. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. I mean, Mac loves talking about two things: the Lakers and the Dallas Cowboys. Oh yeah, that's my two favorite teams. Yes. Um, but anyway, Byron, listen, they got they they just put these players together. Uh, they're they're starting to move. They're starting to play together. What do you think? Do you think they got a chance to make the make the playoffs? Maybe a run at the championship. Well, I think they got some bad seeds out there. Russell Westbrook went. Uh, they traded him, and uh, Beverly they they traded him. So they got some young young upcoming players. I think um, they they should make a run. But you know, right now they're in thirteenth place, so they got to move up. They got to win some games after the All Star game, but. You know everything. Everything goes around LeBron's. I also saw they talk about LeBron, and you know, of course, he just uh, scored over thirty-eight thousand points. Uh, just um, maxed out, uh, but overcame Kareem Abdul, uh, Kareem uh, All-Star, all-time leading point uh, producer. But uh, other than that, you know, they just an average team, I think. Okay, all right. So uh, uh, there is going to be a huge bidding war between NBC and ESPN. For the rights to the NBA, I think ESPN uh, wins that. But it's just interesting to see how much money that they're going to spend on the NBA this year uh, to, to, you know, to televise their games. You may see a, a bigger, a bigger uh, amount of money spent than any time in the history of the NBA. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad for basketball. The players are already making too much money. Um, the teams are already uh, raking in the raking in the dollar bill, so I don't know if this is good. How this is going to affect the NBA? How much? What is the salary going to be? You know, uh, a year from now or so. Um, Pags, I know you're you're, you know, you don't you don't. I don't want to say you don't like, but the the salaries that the NBA are making right now, they're kind of running the game where it used to be the coaches and GMs. Yeah, I. Uh... I mean, I, I, obviously, I think that this is going to somewhat rival football in terms of the deal that they're going to be able to make. Uh, I think it's going to, you know, ultimately, when everything goes up, when all those prices go up, so do the price of the tickets, too. Like, it doesn't it doesn't ever compensate one way or another. Everybody wants to make every money, every dollar that they can. And, and unfortunately, the fan is what winds up getting hurt in the process here. I mean, it's like ultimately, you know, they're going to they're going to spend this money and then they're going to like you have like with hockey, you have the ESPN plus where you can't see all the games now because you're going to have to do pay-per-view. you got to do pay per, you know, you know, you got to buy the program or buy whatever it is to be able to watch some of these things. And I think that that's that's ultimately where this is all heading. And I'm not a real big fan of that. Yeah. What do you think, Jack? He make, Pax makes a good point, supply and demand. Last year, I went to an Orlando Magic game. A buddy of mine who owns a lot of businesses, he bought a lot of tickets and he included food in it for some of, you know, his guests, okay, too. And it included eating in the restaurant before the game and all you can eat during the game and a decent seat for the game. And I'm not going to tell you because it was personal. He told me what it cost per person. And my mouth fell over because if this was New York, it would have been like about 
wow, about eight to ten times more. But the Orlando Magic was so bad last year, they had a hard time filling up the arena. So they were glad to work out any deal and throw in all the food. But if the Magic, who are improving this year, get the championship level, you better believe that type of deal that he had before would be, you know, would be multiplied over and over again in the price. So it, it, like Pax is right, it's supply and demand. If the fans don't show up, ticket prices go down. You know, years ago, guys, when we used to go to a game, the schedule would come out to any team and the prices would be the same to every game. Now they make the prices according to who's playing. For example, if I want to go to a net game and the Phoenix Suns are coming back into town with Kevin Durant, that's going to cost me a heck of a lot more money than to see the San Antonio Spurs. Sure. Yeah. Agree with that. Um, we do have the NBA All-Star game coming up. Does anybody have any interest in watching this game? I mean, I know, you know, there's some there's some great personalities in there. You got LeBron, you got Kevin Durant, you got some of the biggest names in, in basketball that will be playing. Uh, the game has kind of become, to me, a... a a laughing stock where there's no defense played at all. Um, any of you going to be watching that? I'm not. I, I, I usually watch the, the three-point shots and the uh, slam dunk, um, but most people talk about how many points going to be scored, you know, 300 points, um, you know, over and under. That's all they talk about. So I probably won't watch it this year. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, 300 yeah. points. 300 points is not enough. You'd have to bet the over still. <laughs> yes, you would. <laughs> Usually guys like Byron, you know, they're pedigree. They're great at football. Guys like me and Pax, for example. Pax and I, we couldn't dream to have been the type of football player Byron was. But we're probably better all-around athletes because Pax and myself probably played a lot more sports growing up. Byron just stuck with football the whole way. That's football, football, football. Is that true, Byron? I I I played basketball and then I ran track, so uh, I'm still trying to trying to figure it out. But I, I wanted to play hockey, but I went up north, so I was down south. Hockey, Byron. How would that? Did you play in the park or something? Did you have on a stick? That's what I was saying. If I was up north, I could have played in in the streets yeah. with, with kids and stuff. But. Yeah. I bet you would have been a, one of those speedy centers that needed people to around you to protect you, like Jeff Code and stuff. What do you think? Yeah, I was a bully, though. I, I, well, he he was like, I would have beat Jeff Code up. I would have put his butt. <laughs> Jeff Code would have strictly been an enforcer. He played yes. hockey. You know, when, when Byron was getting attacked, Jeff Code would come on the ice to try to, you know, yes. restore order. But exactly. you know what, Jack? I had a pocket full of rocks. I would, I would have, I would have rocked him up, and then ran. He couldn't have never caught me. So, John skates, Byron. It's just as hockey. <laughs> and there's a rink. There's a rink. You can't get out to easy packs. I know you played hockey back in the day. At least I think you did. I mean, you're a big hockey fan. Um, you know, I mean, you know, would would you think you could have become a, a good college player? I had a really good wrist shot. You know, I, I I was able I was able to to use the stick really well. Uh, I, my ice skating wasn't always the best, uh, so that probably you know you need to you need to really be skilled. And and the problem the problem with doing 
hockey in the States is that it's just not cold enough all the time. And you have to, you aren't able to play baseball and play hockey. You just, yeah. you just aren't because hockey players need to practice their craft all year long. That's mm -hmm. why in Canada, you're able to do that because it's never really warm. You know what I mean? That uh, yeah. it's, it's the highest it's going to get is 70 degrees and you're going to be able to go to the rink and, and it not be uh, crappy ice uh, where here it's like when it's 90 degrees, the ice rink is not the best. So it's, it's, it's sloggy and, and, and slushy and stuff like that. I, I, that's what makes it hard if you wanted to play a lot of sports. Like I played baseball. I ran track for a little while, even though I wasn't very fast. Um, that you can't do that and play hockey. You either right. choose hockey or you choose all the other sports. And right, I right? chose all the other sports. Yeah, there was a guy that played on my on the senior leagues with me, uh, and he chose hockey. Or he was a very good baseball player, too. But he chose uh, oh. hockey over baseball because he had to the, the amount of time it took. So, um, yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. It's always but, fascinating when a great athlete has to make a choice. You could play one of, like, let's say three sports even at a high level professionally, like Kyler Murray. He could have maybe been the shortstop for the Oakland Athletics right now. He was considered a blue chip prospect in baseball. He chose football because the quarterback position is more glamorous and you're going sure. to make more money. It's more prestigious. John Elway, he may have been an outstanding right fielder for the New York Yankees. Yeah. Obviously, you know, he chose football. But, you know, other athletes have choices. Sometimes it doesn't work out like a Drew Henson. He was kind of caught, you know, he was so-so in baseball, really not that good. And, and it, in football, he, you know, he did play in the NFL, but he really never quite made it. Uh, but then a case, Dave DeBuscher, he was a pitcher for the Chicago White Sox, but he picked basketball, and that obviously worked out. So, but, so it's fascinating. Bo Jackson, that was a guy who was great in both. Sure. I mean, Deion Sanders, uh, he was a pretty good baseball player, pretty good, playing the World Series with the Braves. But obviously, he was super great in football. But he always wonders how his baseball career would have turned out. Had he, like, carried it out all the way, he would have had maybe a lengthy career and a good one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And speaking of baseball, a, uh, a legend, I would say, a legendary commentator. Um, he also was in, on World Series teams. Tim uh, Tim MacGyver, uh, MacGyver. Yeah, Tim MacGyver. Uh, thank you. He, uh, he ended up passing away. Jack, I, I know, I, I think you probably have some thoughts on Tim. Uh, you know, of course, we send our uh, condolences out to his family. What, what do you think about Tim McCarver? Yeah, Tim McCarver, what did he have, like a 22-year big league career, you know, with the Cardinals and the Phillies. He was uh, World Series win on the 1964-1967 St. Louis Cardinals. And he was a, a main battery mate for two of the all-time great pitchers, Bob Gibson and the Cardinals, Steve Carlton on the Phillies. In fact, he was Steve Carlton's personal catcher. Steve Carlton had a reputation for being a little moody. Didn't want to pitch to anyone else but Tim McCarver. That was his guy. But Tim McCarver, despite having a very distinguished big league career as a player, 
is thought of more as a broadcaster. And when it comes to Tim McCarver, you have to think, is he what you prefer as a broadcaster? Because a lot of people like his style. He could be working for a team, but he would be objective to the point where you got the impression he wasn't rooting for the team he was working for. He wasn't rooting against them, of course, but he wasn't rooting for them. That's going to be one of our debate questions. If you're a fan, do you want your broadcaster to be a bit of a homer, like a Johnny Most with the Celtics, you know, who went overboard as a homer? Or do you want him to be unemotional? Tim McCarver gave the impression he didn't care whether the team he was working for won or lost. Maybe he did care. Maybe he did care a great deal, but it certainly never came out. Now, I thought he was a great broadcaster. I didn't always agree with his calls, like in the 1996 World Series, when Jim Leritz hit a three-run homer for the Yankees to tie up game four against the Atlanta Braves, which was a turning point in the Yankees winning the series. McCarver was venting about the pitcher saying, you never should get beat by not throwing your best pitch. And I'm thinking, you can't throw your best pitch all the time. If it's a breaking ball, you can't throw nothing but breaking balls. You can't throw nothing but fastballs. You can't throw nothing but curveballs. You have to switch up a little once in a while at least. But McCarver, you know, is venting about it. But listen, he seemed like a very nice man, okay? You know, uh, he seemed like an, a guy of high integrity, and he wasn't one of those old-timers that were caught up in the past. He's always saying, I think the modern guys were much better than us. Like when later St. Louis Cardinal teams would win the World Series, they'd say, well, how did they compare against your Cardinal teams? Who would have won? And he says, ah, they would have beaten us probably. And he said it unemotionally, like he put his ego on the side. And uh, yeah. great broadcaster, a, a big part of baseball for decades. Yeah, so I, I, know, I, liked, I, know. I liked him for his commentating, and uh, you know he was he was, he batted five thousand five hundred and twenty nine times. He had fifteen hundred hits. He had ninety seven home runs. A batting average of two point seven one, two hundred no two point seven one. So he has some great talent. I mean, you know he, um, you know I always said that you know ain't the guys sometimes who put up the numbers. It's sometimes the guys who made the game what it is today, and so. You know, when I was, I used to like to listen to him call some of the games for sure. Yeah, I know Bags. You know him being with the, um, you know, being with the Phillies in that. If he was, I think that's what Jack said. He was with the Phillies or, or whatever. Yeah, he won. He won a. He won a World Series in nineteen eighty. So uh, I, I guess you. Uh, oh, well, was he on that Philly team in nineteen eighty? Are you sure, Pax? Positive. As a backup. Uh, probably the probably the catcher for Steve Carlton. And had to, oh. huh? Oh, interesting. I don't recall him being in the 1980 Philly team. He was. So, Pat, you could look I it up. He was. Last, he was that was the last year to play, I think, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Because he, so he Pat, was an announcer soon after that as well for his announcing because he didn't, you know, like I said, I do like it to be a little bit Homerish. Uh, <laughs> I want I want a little bit of home, like over. To go crazy, but I want it to be a little bit homerish, uh, especially when you're doing local. When you're doing national broadcasts, I understand. Uh, so he was better than an, uh, a national announcer 
than he was a local announcer, at least for my tastes. Uh, you know, that being said, uh, I mean, he had a great career. He did win World Series. Uh, you know, he was a, a good man and that the Phillies, you know, he was part of the Phillies organization for a little while. And that, uh, you know, that was that was good. You know, I, I can appreciate uh, what he was to, to baseball and what he did and the mark he's leaving behind. Yeah. Listen, all well said, guys. Um, Pags, I'm going to begrudgingly give you the floor on soccer here. On, on we talked a little bit before uh, the show. Uh, you're going to be uh, part of the uh, the local soccer team there, aren't you? Uh, I am. I'm. I'm going to be. Uh, the MLS is going to be doing all of their games on Apple TV, and they have uh, asked me if I would be one of their ambassadors. So uh, you're going to get some very uh, anybody who follows me is going to be getting very specific content uh, from the MLS and from the Philadelphia Union, who was also one of the teams who lost uh, in the championship here. Uh, you know, so there's three teams uh, specifically, uh, four if you count the USFL, uh, that right. uh, have some unfinished business that they have to. They made it to the finals and lost. So there's, uh, you know, there's going to be a you know, there, there's been a lot of good play in Philadelphia as of late, and, and I expect that it's going to continue this year. You have a little chip on their shoulder. Tim McCarver played in six games, and that got up batted five times officially for the 80 Phillies. So you are correct. He was on that team, but I guess, you know, he wasn't on for that long on that team, but was yeah, I mean, I, I know that he got a ring. I know that he did get a ring. You're correct. Yeah. I just didn't remember him as any type of contributor. It's funny like players fall under the radar. Like the 1986 Boston Red Sox that lost the Mets in the World Series. Tom Seaver was on that Red Sox team. But few people remember that. All right. So yeah, back, yeah. To, back, to, back to the soccer packs will be one of the ambassadors uh, for the local team there, the union. Uh, Pags, you know, listen, I, I think it's great that you're out there and you're all into Philadelphia sports, and this is one of the sports, and uh, greatest of luck with that. Byron, uh, hey, do you – I was going to tell Pags that uh, I was with Micah, Mike, Mike Quick, and Harold Carmichael. I got a chance to talk to them this past week, so we uh, had a good conversation with those guys, Good, great guys. Yeah, it's a shame that I, I didn't get to get, get to catch up with you at the uh, Super Bowl. Uh, I, I I was I was swamped and so busy I, I didn't have a chance to really get beyond what I was doing but uh, I, I'm sure it was a, probably a great time. Uh, it was busy. Geez. It was it was a great time. Only thing I I lost my wedding band. Other than that, I'm I was it was great. Yeah, that's too bad. That's that was that that's what kept him off the show last time or off his show for a while there. Um, you know that's uh, speaking of the Super Bowl guys, the carryover. I'm sick of the immaturity these players show in the NFL. And I think the teams, the organizations should step forward and speak go. out about it. Uh, Juju Schuster, there was no need to put a tweet about James Bradbury. James Bradbury, get, I respect that guy so much. The amount of respect I have for him for taking accountability on the hold, he didn't have to. He went out of his way, and that wasn't a popular thing. Eagle fans didn't want to hear James Bradbury say, no, the referee was right. I was hoping I could get away with it, but it was a hold. 
I accept accountability. I respect James Bradbury as much as anyone in the NFL right now. He's a guy of the highest character. So this idiot, Juju Schuster, has to taunt him on a tweet? Why? And But what disappoints me is the Kansas City Chief organization, they don't speak up. If I'm the owner of the Chiefs, I tell Juju Schuster, you better come up with a big public apology to him right now, or you're not joining us on the parade because you're being cut from the team right now. And actually do it, okay? I mean, but these teams, they don't put down their own guys, these organizations. They're acting like complete fools. Yet if someone does it to them, they continuously whine about it. Well, I... I Good I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go ahead and talk before I say because I actually have a very strong opinion about this. I mean, obviously Juju Juju Schuster uh, has been a nothing for even even this year. The only reason why he even made any catches in the game because realistically he wasn't going to catch that ball either was that we started taking we started taking Kelsey away, so it opened him up a little bit. That's why he got three throws. He's he's not much of a receiver. He's more like Mahomes' brother. Uh, and realistically, uh, I'm glad that he did it because he just put he just put a target on his back. The Eagles are going to play him next year, and I wouldn't be surprised if they don't take a couple of extra shots at him just because how nice of a guy he is. What do you think, Byron? I mean, the players talk all the time. They're immature. Um, you know, it's 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 Twitter. I mean, I mean, I don't hold a lot of water to that. I mean, you know, the guy's a jerk. So I mean, so we're yeah, some, guys, some guys are gonna be jerk. I mean, it was a, it was a it was a fight that broke out with two former players at one of the events uh, this past past week, and these guys still have the, they they call it beats a uh, beef a beef about something that happened years ago. This could yeah. carry on. It can be it can be uh, devastating. So they, you know, teams should put a lid on it for sure because. It can come back to hunt some players because you know some players now forget certain things out there on that football field, and um, and of course it's part of the game. But yet at the end of the game, you got to have some type of sportsmanship uh, manner uh, and approach to it. But they definitely the team need to definitely address this. It's it's not what football is all about. Jack, Jack, turn up. You're, you're mute. The chief organization publicly hasn't addressed this. Schuster hasn't apologized. If I'm Patrick Mahomes, I address it. I let him know, you better apologize, guy, because if you remember the Kansas City Chiefs next year, you're not seeing the ball. I'm going to go out of my way to look for everyone else before I target you. I mean, I want to see these guys step up. Patrick Mahomes is offended about, you know, Eli Apple, what he might say, the mayor of Cincinnati, what he might say. But his own guy is acting the same way. The yeah. same way, and you're going to be quiet about it? I want to hear Patrick Mahomes say that remark by Schuster was completely uncalled for, that, you know, he made it himself. I hope he apologize. I hope he does the right thing and apologizes. He might say, you know, he probably tweeted that on the spur of the moment. I hope he doesn't really feel that way because that doesn't reflect our feelings as an organization. Yeah, well, he's a free agent. You know, he's a free agent. They might not sign it back. So yeah, I, I listen. I I agree with Pags, and I agree with uh, I I agree with Byron and Jack too. Uh, 
he'll probably won't be playing for the Jets, um, the Chiefs next year. Maybe he plays for the Jets. I don't know. But he's not playing for the Chiefs next year, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, he's other than that one good year he had with Pittsburgh, he's kind of fallen off and uh, and did have a great year, really. Guys, guys, forget forget what we said before football, oh, my Sam yeah. Donald type dream. From- that doesn't that doesn't work. You know, Pax kind of likes this guy and he's gonna be available. Baker Mayfield, they could get him for nothing, just pay him a reasonable amount, make him your starting quarterback. Zach Wilson is the backup and you move forward. Baker Kinney's as good a fill-in, you know, a, a much cheaper fill-in than some of the other options. I think Baker stays in LA. Hey, Jack, any boxing? Yeah, I think so too. Jack, any any uh, boxing news you want to get to for us? Uh, Not boxing, but uh, the uh, top fighters try to avoid one another. Uh, I just did an interview, guys. Uh, I think I set a record, the Guinness Book of World Records, interviewing the oldest boxing person in history, 101 years old. Do you wow. know this, that? Listen to this statistic, guys. And this isn't a pleasant statistic. It shows you how rough a sport boxing is. In the history of boxing, there hasn't been one world champion who made it to age 100. Now, one, it shows you the effects of the years in the ring. The closest was Max Schmeling at age 99. So I was speaking to this promoter, manager, Tony Graziano in Canastota, whenever story coming out, 101 years old. And he's in decent shape now. You know, he's independent. And he worked eight-hour shifts until a couple of years ago, you know, and then he decides to retire at age 99. Imagine that. Wow. Okay? But, you know, he and speaking to him, he's strong. He, you know, he at first says he has appointments. Can we... Can I can we do this interview in a couple of weeks? We did it on the phone. And I figure he's 101. When am I gonna wait two, three weeks? I want to get it done now. I'm thinking. The guy has a good memory. The guy was sharp. Guy's sense of humor. So much with being grumpy as you get older. And you know, amazing guy promoted 300 shows in this career. He started Carmen Basilio off, you know, as his trainer and manager. And amazing guy. He was a paratrooper in World War II. It's incredible that he's alive. You know, all his buddies got killed in World War II, and he had to liberate the concentration camps. So, you know, an you know, amazing guy. You know, such an honor. You're on the phone with a guy 101 years old. And I told him, can we talk on the phone? It'll only be about 15 minutes. 15 minutes turned into 40 minutes, and I was kind of exhausted. He outlasted me even. Okay, so you know, those are nice. That's a heck of a nice story, you know. Awesome. Well, Jack, that was great. Jack, Jack's article will be coming out on Boxing News, correct, Jack? Or is it out there? Yeah, yeah. Website? I, I got to submit it to them this weekend. Okay, so check out and, Boxing uh, News. Two Tall Jones. Yeah, yeah. I had a story on Two Tall's boxing yeah. career. But the fighters today in balance, they don't fight one another. It, it, it's pathetic. I mean, you have it, and even in Philadelphia. In Pax's town, there was a great promoter for decades, Russell Peltz. He put on shows. But when he would promote in Philadelphia, the best fighters from Philadelphia, even in Philadelphia, was a gold mine, you know, a talent, would fight one another. Now these guys look at every reason to avoid it. It's, it's pathetic compared to how it used to be. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, if there was – you wanted to prove you were the best at that time. You, you know, there was there was none of this waiting for the money to be right and, and you know, who's who is your promotion – uh, who's the promotion identity and all that stuff? You were the, you were you were the guy you take any challenge on. That wasn't too too long ago either. If you could look back at Tyson and and the, and and you know um, some of the great fighters of his era, so uh, Lennox Lewis and so on. They they wanted to fight each other, and that made for a great great time to be a boxing fan. So, folks, we're coming to the end of our show today. Thank you to Byron uh, Williams who stayed the whole show with us, our NFL analyst. Uh, he has a show on Wednesdays uh, is JMB Talk and Shop with him and Jim Jeffcoat. Uh, it's a fun show. If you can get a chance to go see it, see it. Uh, check it out. It's a real fun show. As I said, Jack Hirsch, Monday Nights does uh, Glove Fist with the great Frank Tirzo as they muddle through all the boxing news and bring you all the updates and all the hypothetical fights. Great show. These two know a lot about boxing. And, of course, the Philly sports guy, who's on TikTok all the time. He's he's doing all kinds of stuff, cornhole championships, arm wrestling championships. Philadelphia is all over. Check him out on TikTok. And, uh, again, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for the likes, loves, and views. And we'll see you tomorrow on the Mac and Jack Debate Show with Doc, Dr. Paul, uh, also a writer. And I think Pags is going to join us tomorrow too, aren't you, Pags? I um no, I it's not. Dr. Paul is on vacation, I believe. Okay, maybe Dr. Paul. Right. Okay, so it's, I so guess it's Mac, me, you, and uh, UI, and uh, and Pax. Byron, yeah, we right. got to get you on a debate show too one time. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna get you out there debating with Jack about uh, some of the Giants draft picks, and we know what we're talking about. Jack don't know nothing. Yes, yes. So we'll I, see you. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great Friday night. See you guys. Take care. Take it easy, Byron.